Take your Bibles and open them up with me, if you will, to Judges 13. If you uh, read the Old Testament, and you read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you'll know that there were some very low points in the life of Israel. In fact, those books record a cycle. The people of the Lord would turn from the Lord and he would send a prophet and would call them to repentance and they would return to the Lord. He would raise up a good king and they would serve him and then there would be a bad king and they would depart from the Lord. And there was just a cycle of up and down, high and low moments. But the lowest moment in the life of Israel is recorded in the book of Judges. As you read through Judges, you see some of the most horrendous sins, some of the hardest hearts, some of the greatest departures from the Lord. There are two verses that really describe what's happening in the book of Judges. Judges 2.10 talks about the generation that came in with Joshua and conquered the promised land. And it said, and this generation was called to their fathers. They died. How many of you on Memorial Day watched the ceremony at Normandy and stood with hushed astonishment as you looked at those row and row of crosses of those who fought valiantly for our country. That was that generation. And now that generation has died. And after it says they had been gathered to their father, it says, and another generation arose that did not know the Lord, nor the mighty works that he did for Israel. What was that generation like? You go to the very last verse of the book of Judges and it sums it up and says there was no king in Israel. Now, God was to be the king over Israel. <laughs> but because there was no human king, it says, because there was no king in Israel, Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Everybody just did whatever they wanted to do without any restraint. And because of it, Judges is that low spiritual point in the life of Israel and their, not only their departure from God, but in their plunge deep into sin. And so God throughout the book of Judges raises up judges. They're deliverers. They come and they, they call the people back to God and God works mightily through them. One of those judges was Samson. And tonight we're going to look at the life of Samson. It's in Judges 13, or 13 through 16. And if Joshua were here with us tonight, he would tell us some things about being strong in the Lord and weak 
in the flesh. I want you to read with me here in Judges 13, starting in verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them unto the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the flesh corruption, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life. They had sown to the flesh, and now they are reaping it. And there is the heavy hands of the Philistines oppressing them and ruling over them and taking away from them. And it is for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord, now the angel of the Lord here is a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus. In fact, toward the end of this chapter, uh, Manoah says to his wife, we're going to die because we've seen God. I mean, Jesus has manifested himself to us. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have, no, have not born child, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite from his womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of, uh, of the Philistines. And then it comes down in verse 29 and says, in the, although, or verse 24, it says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. So here is the coming of Samson. And if you look at Samson's life, there, there are two things that he would tell us. First of all, he would tell us that commitment is the key to spiritual strength. When you and I think of Samson as the deliverer of, e, of, of Israel, we think of his great strength. He was known for it. Later on, we're going to read how he's going to slay a host of Philistines with nothing but the jawbone of a donkey. How he is going to expose the wickedness of the Philistines and defeat them over and over. He is known for his extraordinary strength. But his strength does not lie in his physical powers or even in his hair. His strength lies in his commitment to the Lord as a Nazarite. You saw that purpose when the angel of the Lord spoke to Manoah and his wife. 
and, and said that, that uh, no razor shall come upon, or, the, or for this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he will start to save Israel from their sins. That was God's purpose for his life. And then you come to the end of chapter 13, and, and you see the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him. That is his strength. Go back to verse 24 again. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manahidan between Zor and Estol. God was on him. God was blessing him. God was using him. God was empowering him because he was set apart as a Nazarite. Now, if you go back to, to Numbers chapter 6, you have God giving what a Nazarite is. A Nazarite is someone who is set apart from the Lord for a special purpose. Usually somebody might be set apart for two months or a year or two years, but Samson is set apart from his birth and is to be set apart for all of his life. And number 6-8 says that during this time of separation, the Nazarite is to be holy unto the Lord. And there are in number uh, uh, 6 three requirements that were given to one who took the vow to be a Nazarite, set apart to the Lord, to be used by him for a special purpose. One, he was not to drink wine or strong drink. Two, no razor was to touch his head. He was not to get a haircut. And so if somebody set a year aside, their hair got a little long now for for, uh, for Samson, the hair gets real long, and that long hair that we're going to meet later on is just a symbol of his commitment to the Lord. And the third requirement is that, they, that the Nazarite was not to touch anything that was dead because they were dedicated to the Lord, to the purpose of God, to God the Holy Spirit being a upon them, within them, working mightily through them. For us, we're never more spiritually strong than what we are in our commitment to Jesus. Strength does not lie in our own ability or our ingenuity. Strength and power belong to the Lord. If God's going to work mightily in your family, if God's going to work mightily in and through your church, if God's going to do extraordinary things that people stand and they're absolutely amazed and say, no one could do that but God, it will grow out of the depth of commitment. So let me give you two verses that need to be a part of the life 
of every believer as you look at the life of Samson. The first one gives the big picture of commitment. It's Romans 12:1, where Paul says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, in that phrase, Paul is just going back to everything else that he has said in the book of Romans how that we were all lost, hopelessly lost. We had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were all slaves to sin and under the condemnation of sin. But God, who is rich in grace and mercy, justified us by faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He gave us new life. He indwelt us by his spirit to empower us to walk in newness of life. And Paul said, when you look back at everything, the, the extraordinary message of the cross, that Jesus would die so you and I could live. He would become our sins, that we could be made righteous in him. He said, when you look at the mercies of God, the only way that you can rightly respond to that mercy is to present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now, that's what God really wants of you. I don't know about you, but that has to be a part of my daily prayer life. You know why? He said, I'm to present my body as a living sacrifice. That's in contrast to the dead sacrifices in the Old Testament. When they would give a sacrifice, they would kill the bullock or the lamb or the, the turtle dove, and they would bring it, and they would bring it at, to the altar of the Lord. What I found about this living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. And I have to bring it back over and over again. I'm to present my body a living, living unto him, holy, set apart for God's glory, acceptable, pleasing unto God. And that's the way that I worship him in my day-to-day -day life. That's the big picture. That's, that's the, the principle of real commitment. But then you go back to Romans 6, and, and it, it talks about the day-to-day -day decisions that are involved in real commitment. In Romans 6, Paul starts off and he asks a question, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, and, and he gives an answer, and the Greek word is make genito, and I say that because it is a strong word. We don't have an English equivalent for it. The, the, the King James says, God forbid. The ESV said, may it never be. It carries the, the, the idea of utter nonsense. It's impossible for anyone who has been to the cross, anyone that has understood what, what it cost God to give the free grace to us, his dear son. It is impossible for anyone 
who has really experienced grace to think that way. And then he said, don't you know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ were baptized into his death. When you were saved, you died to the old person you used to be. And as you were buried with him in baptism, so were you raised in the likeness of his resurrection. You received a brand new life. You became a new creation in Christ. Now that's who we are. Now, how does that impact our decisions in day-to-day life? Look down in Romans 6, 13. It says, uh, Do not present your members to sins as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, how many of you face temptation during the day? I'd get the other foot up, but I can't do it. Sure we do. What do you do in the midst of that temptation? Paul said, I presented my body as a living sacrifice. That's the governing principle of my life. I belong to Jesus. But in the intensity of temptation, I make a decision. And he says, the decision I'm making, I'm to make is not to present my body to sin, not to give it over, say, oh, (laughs) but to present my body to God as one who has been brought from death to life and to present the members of my body as righteousness. That's commitment. Day by day, commitment to him. Now, that's the kind of commitment that Samson has when he is strong in the Lord, when he battles the Philistines, when he breaks the band of their tyranny over Israel, when he begins to save Israel from the Philistines, as God had said. Now, Samson is going to rule as a judge for 20 years. And most of those 20 years were years where God was on him and he was defeating the Philistines. But though he started off well, Samson finished poorly. And so, while Samson Samson would say to us that commitment is the key to spiritual strength, he would also tell us that compromise exposes the weakness of the flesh. You know the story of Judges 16, of Samson and Delilah. Samson makes some huge missteps that end in his demise. 
First of all, he went to the wrong places. He was the judge of Israel. He was the representative of God. He was the man of God. But you find him cavorting with the enemy, with the Philistines, especially Philistine women. The book of Romans says that you and I are not to make provisions for the flesh. There's just some places that we don't need to go. Some activities we don't need to be involved in because it just exposes the flesh. And, and I want you to know, the flesh is always a downward drag on us. And so Samson, instead of righteousness unto the Lord, begins to go to places where he exposed himself. And then Samson didn't live, uh, listen, to godly counsel. Back in chapter 14, he decides he's going to marry a Philistine, and his parents say, hey, why don't you, no, why don't you marry one of your, uh, your own? Now, uh, it, the Bible says that his parents didn't know that this was of the Lord so that Samson could learn the ways of the Philistine. But that was just in chapter 14. But as Samson goes into 16 and he gets involved with another pagan woman and that same advice comes, he doesn't heed it. And lust runs wild in his mind and in his flesh. And he flirts with temptation. He uh, is laying there and the Philistines have come to Delilah and says, if you'll find out the source of, of Samson's strength so we can defeat him, we'll pay you. Oh, man, we'll pay you big. And, of course, she's just ready to do it. And so she says, what's, your, what's the secret of your strength? And uh, Samson says, well... If you, would, if, if you tie me with uh, new bow strings that have never been used on a bow and arrow, uh, then I'll lose my strength. So he goes to sleep, and she ties him up with the bow strings. And then she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he pops those bow strings and whips those Philistines. She said, you're just fooling with me. What's the secret of your strength? He said, well, if you'll just... Uh, just uh, um, tie me with new rope and then I'll lose my strength and so he goes to sleep and she ties him up with new rope and, uh, and then she cries out the Philistines are here and he just breaks the new rope and whips those guys now, I want you to know lust makes you do crazy things I mean, you would have think Samson would say, something bad's going on here. But he just keeps flirting 
And she said, tell me again your secret. And uh, he says, well, if you just weave my hair, then I'll lose, I'll lose my strength. So she, he goes to sleep, she weaves her hair, and then she cries out, the Philistines are here, and he just gets up and pops them again. But I want you to know something. R.G. Lee preached that great sermon, Payday Someday. You flirt with temptation only so long until you start to play fast and loose with your commitment. And so Delilah comes back and she says, you hadn't told me the truth. What's the secret of your power? And then he says, a razor has never touched my head. Shave my head and I'll lose my strength. Now the strength wasn't in the hair, what the hair represented, his commitment as a Nazarite. He goes to sleep. She shaves his head. And she says, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson jumped up just as he had every other time. But here's one difference. Judges 16, verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at the other time and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Wow. What's the lesson? Samson no commitment equals no power in our lives over the years I've just noticed few people fall in sin or depart from the Lord quickly I mean, people just don't wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to quit walking with the Lord. Or I'm going to quit righteousness and I'm just going to plunge headlong into sin. No, that's not the way it happens. You know how it happens? One compromise leads to another compromise, which leads to another compromise. until you wake up one day and you're powerless and a setting duck for the devil. That's where Samson found himself. And that's where we will find ourselves. I think I've probably told you this, but it was such a profound moment in my life. B. Gray Allison, other than my father, I love him more than any man. God's used him deeply in my life.
He was my teacher. He was my boss. He became my dear friend. We were traveling China, just the two of us. We were sitting in a hotel room in Beijing. I was on one bed, and he was on the bed, and we were sitting up, and we were talking. And he looked at me. 71 years old. Great man of faith, great man of integrity, great man of God. Used to touch so many lives. And he looked at me. And he said, I just don't want to blow it at the end and that shook me and I sat there and I thought man if you're worried about blowing it at the end how much more do I need to worry about it so what happened to Samson he just let compromise come in. You and I battle that every day. Social media has given me some insights I don't really like. I've known some folks who talk a good talk on Sunday, but they get with the old crowd, the wrong crowd, and you see a picture of them, and they got a beer or a mixed drink in their hand, and you realize they just making a compromise to fit in. And the awful seriousness of that because compromise is never satisfied where it is. It's always going to lead down. So let me give you just three takeaways from Samson. Okay? One, Commitment is day to day in our relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, I can't live off of yesterday's commitment. If it's not fresh, it's not real. If I take it for granted, it's not happening. heard about that guy who said, well, y'all heard somebody you know, preach on you need to tell your wife that you love her every day. He said, well, I don't know why I need to do that. I told her I loved her when I married her, and if I ever changed my mind, I'll tell her. <laughs> Boy, he, he's a, he, he really had a happy home, didn't he? It's just like the guy said, well, I repented when I trusted Jesus, and I don't see why I need to do it again. I do. The battle for my mind, the battle for my heart, the battle for my flesh. If I'm not walking freshly with Jesus, 
It just ain't happening. Day to day. Second, compromise always corrupts and kills. It never builds up, never edifies, never brings joy. It just pulls down. And then the third would be if there's any area of compromise that has crept into your life, the time to get rid of it and return to deep commitment is now. Samson, <clears throat> the end of the story. After the Philistine catch him after he has lost his commitment to the Lord and the power of God in his life. They blind him. And uh, they, they put him to grinding grain, just pushing that grind by himself, day by day by day. Here's the judge, the deliverer, the mighty man of God, One day the Philistines say, let's get, let's get Samson and have some fun with him. Let's, let's, let's see what a spectacle he is. And they bring him in. And Samson prays, Lord, just use me one more time. And he's in the temple of the pagan god, puts one hand on one column, another hand on another column says, let me die with the Philistines and pushes it down. He's killed, but in his death, he kills more Philistines than he did in his life. Don't let sin kill you. Repent quickly. Deal decisively. Whenever compromise tries to creep in to your life.